We begin this morning with Chris Hipkins, fresh from launching his party's official re-election campaign with a promise to extend state-funded dental care to more New Zealanders. Hipkins, of course, took over as Prime Minister after Jacinda Ardern stepped down in January. And he's with us this morning. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, good morning. Some free dental care for some people in the year 2026. What's the point? We've, we've said that we're going to start rolling out free dental care. This is going to be a big undertaking. When we started rolling out free doctor's visits for children, we started with a smaller age group and then we progressively extended it. That's what we're intending to do with dental. So we're targeting that uh, group that are between 20 and 30 because when we looked at the evidence base, that's actually where a lot of tooth decay really starts to begin. So uh, by targeting that group for free dental care up front, then actually we can probably reduce some of the need for more elaborate dental care further down the track. 2026 though, we might be on Mars by then. We might be. Um, if I really cared about this policy, why wouldn't I support the Greens, who are going to introduce universal free dental care and fund it through a wealth tax? The first group um, become eligible in 2025 and then the next group in 2026. And the reality is, in order to do it, we've actually got to scale up the capacity to be able to deliver it. You can't just flick a switch and turn on you know, extra dental so care So is the Greens policy overnight. not credible? Um, I, I think they would really struggle, even if we had an unlimited amount of money, to be able to deliver it within a faster time frame because you actually have to train extra dentists. You have to, and in this case, we're not just going to be mm. training extra dentists because that's a longer term goal. Um, we're going to have to bring in more dentists from overseas. We're going to have to train more dental assistants. Um, and that's going to take a little bit of time. How many more dentists from overseas? Um, we reckon. At a maximum level, we'd need about 200 more. Um, but that's not just dentists. That also includes other people who work alongside dentists How are you going to fund well. that? Um, th that's all in the policy. So we've um, allowed provision for extra training. We've allowed provision for extra recruitment. OK. I want to consider three policies for your election campaign this morning that consider three of the most important issues for New Zealanders heading into October's election. It's now three weeks since you launched your GST-free policy. Three weeks. Can you name any economist or tax expert who thinks it's a good policy? I can't name an economist or tax expert that puts things back at the supermarket when they can't afford the bill that they get when they get to the checkout either. Um, that, that's the, not, the, the, that's the, not the question though, is it? You've had three weeks. <coughs> Can you name any tax expert or any economist who thinks it's a good policy? Most tax experts would prefer a much purer tax system than one that's differentiated. It's again, not my question. If, if Can you, went, you name any tax expert no, I can't. or economist? But, but if you went to Australia, you wouldn't be able to name any that think that the differentiation there is a good thing either. But they have it, um, and it works. Oh, what evidence do you have that it works? Um, Australians pay less for certain products um, than they pay for others because they don't attract GST. What evidence do you have for that? Well, it's, you go to the supermarket in Australia, you can see it. There's, I mean, there's some, food, some good food across the board in Australia, everything in Australia seems to be a whole lot cheaper than New Zealand. Well, that's right, but they, they, have less G, they don't pay GST on, mm. on quite a range of food products. We're actually being more targeted than them, and we're targeting fruit and veg, you know, fresh fruit and vegetables and frozen fruit and vegetables. Where does Sir Michael Cullen rank among our finance ministers. I think he's an exceptional finance minister. So, so what did Sir Michael Cullen and your own party's tax working group not understand when they said it would be a poor use of money that would corrupt the comprehensive tax system for little gain? Yeah, I disagree with them. Mm. Um, I don't, what, what do they not understand? I, I didn't, I, it doesn't mean I, I think he was an outstanding minister of finance. Mm. It doesn't mean I agree with him on everything. Yeah, so, so what did they not understand? I think that uh, removing GST off fruit and veg is something that we can do that's going to deliver a tangible benefit mm. to New Zealanders right now. So again, though, that doesn't answer my question. What did they not understand? 
the tax working group, that group of experts convened by Sir Michael Cullen, one of the greatest finance ministers in your view? Well, they came up with a, a range of additional mm. proposals that they thought were better. Uh, ultimately, there isn't the support for some of those additional proposals. There isn't support in the Parliament for a capital gains tax, for example. So, you know, we, we're constantly looking at how we can make the system fairer. I believe that removing GST of fruit and vegetables mm. will be a step forward for New Zealanders, particularly those on lower incomes, because it means that they'll be able to afford uh, healthier choices. You've said that the Grocery Commissioner will make some sort of a difference. Mm. So can you explain to me in real terms how the Grocery Commissioner is going to monitor prices at the supermarket to ensure that those GST savings get passed on? Um, obviously, the Commerce Commission have an ability to monitor prices at the moment. Mm. There is already a system set up by MB, I think. I think it's through MB, the Price Watch website, which we had in place during COVID mm. to make sure that no one was rotting the system during COVID. So there are mechanisms in, in place now to ensure that people aren't so, inflating so, okay, Please prices. explain to me, in, in real terms, how, how does the Grocery Commissioner go about their job? 3,500-ish supermarkets in New Zealand, as many as 100 fruit and vegetable products every day that you need to monitor. So explain to me how, that, how they well, go Well, if you that. want to know the exact mechanics of how they're going to do that, you're probably best to talk to them. They certainly have a... Well, no, this, uh, is, this is why you say that, that, that this, this policy is a good idea, because you've got the grocery commissioner yeah. to actually overlook this. So, so explain well, they, to me well, how Well, they will works. be able to look at the pricing that's being... They'll be able to look at the prices that supermarkets are paying, what they're charging. Mm. They'll be able to look at the supply chain, and they'll be able to look at you know where, who's making money and where in the supply chain. So, so, so they'll be monitoring prices across all those supermarkets every day? Would that be Well, they're not going to be in every supermarket every day, um, but there will be. Uh, there is already a mechanism for consumers to report if they believe that you know prices are. So this is it's on consumers to, to report it. Um, well, there'll be, I imagine there'll be a combination of uh, factors. The grocery commissioner, I'm sure, will you do imagine, or, 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 or you, you have the detail on this, because this is the thing that, that, for example, your finance minister now says distinguishes this policy Absolutely. from from the from what was what he described as a poor policy just last year. So, so I just want to know, in exact terms, what the Grocery Commissioner actually does. Well, to if, sure if you look works. at the Commerce Commission, for example, we as politicians don't tell the Commerce Commission exactly what data to look for. They mm. go and look for data and then they decide whether there's anti-competitive behaviour or not. The Grocery Commissioner mm. will have the same remit with supermarkets. So the UK has a Grocery Commissioner. Mm. Recently, the UK introduced a VAT exemption, so that's the UK equivalent of GST, on period products. Now, the VAT in the UK is 5%. And a Guardian investigation found just 1% got passed on. So even in comparable countries with grocery commissioners, the policy doesn't work. I'm confident that the benefit will be passed on. In fact, the supermarkets have said that they will be ensuring that they're passing on the benefit. The tax working group was really explicit. They said that direct transfers would be much more targeted and much more effective, especially in helping um, lower-income New Zealanders, middle-income New Zealanders. And, of course, you've done it before. Recently, in fact, with the cost-of-living payment. Do you accept that a direct payment to lower-income New Zealanders would be more effective in relieving the cost of living pressures? Well, we're doing that too. Um, so we've also proposed, for example, to increase working for families by $25 a week for um, those working families with children because we do see that there's a, a place in the system for more direct transfers as well. A cost-of-living-style payment as opposed to just working for families and as opposed to corrupting the GST system? Well, as we saw with the cost-of-living payment, that was not without flaws and, and not without um, pitfalls itself when you sent the money to dead people? Like I said, that, that, that system um, did not prove to be necessarily the best way to get targeted cost of living support to people. Did you focus group this? Uh, the GST of, no. Didn't focus group it? Did you, did you do any internal polling on it? Oh, th there may have been some. The party does that all of the time. And, and what, do, do you remember the internal polling said about its popularity? Uh, it was quite popular, yes. Mm. 
Would you agree it would be a deeply cynical move for, for a party to introduce an election policy that its own finance minister lambasted just a few months earlier and that no relevant experts will back? simply because it focus group well? No, that's not just the reason. We've also looked at what's happened to food and grocery prices over the last year or so, mm. and fruit and vegetables have been particularly hard hit by price increases. Um, and we are seeing that families are you know, having to make choices between buying fruit and veg or buying other unhealthy options. Um, this is something that will actually make a difference. The second policy I want to discuss concerns crime. Has violent crime increased under your government's watch? This is a complicated question, so if you'll forgive me, I'll give you a, a more detailed answer. Um, if you look at youth offending, we are seeing youth offending going down, but we're seeing the severity of the small, a small group of youth offenders going up, right. so ram raiding and so right. on, and we're seeing more violence in that. You know, driving a car into a dairy is a relatively violent act, so we're seeing more of that. We're seeing more reporting of domestic violence, and we have introduced a new offence around strangulation, mm -hmm. which is a big contributing factor to the increase in violent crime in the statistics. Now, I think that was the right thing to do, mm. the offence of strangulation. This was something that wasn't previously, um, you know, prosecuted mm -hmm. in the, to the extent that it is now. Um, so overall, I don't think it's a black and white, is it going up or is it not? Because I think it's a more complicated um, you know, picture than that. Um, but there are certainly areas of crime that we are concerned about. We're very concerned about youth, and, you know, youth crime and retail crime. And we are concerned about the increase in gang activity. Let me phrase the question another way. Do you think New Zealanders feel safer now than when Labor came to power in 2017? Well, again, that's a complicated question. Whether they feel safer or not, um, we are doing a lot to combat the issues that... I think, will contribute to their levels Are of safety. Are New Zealanders safer? I think New Zealanders see the images on the TV um, of ram raids and of shootings and things like that, and that makes them feel unsafe. Mm. And that is a concern, and that's why we need to target those, those areas of crime. So you studied criminology, right? I did. Yeah. So, so when you think about ram raids... How impulsive are those offenders? Very, um, but also the thing that comes from, um, you know, if you look at the background of these kids, these kids are coming mm. from very dysfunctional backgrounds. 90-odd percent of the kids who have been doing repeat ram raiding have someone in their household who has been to prison or who is otherwise involved in the correction system. Mm. We have to break that cycle. If anyone thinks that locking those kids up is going to lead to less crime in the longer term, it's not, because all we're going to right. do is perpetuate the cycle. We have to get those kids out of trouble. We've got to give them a more positive future. Some of these kids are 10 or 12 years mm. old. Mm. Um, I'm not going to write them off. I'm going to say, let's make sure we're putting something in place that gets them onto a better path. OK. The, the second policy I want to raise of those three is your policy that it will mean filming a RAN raid for social media will be an aggravating uh, factor at sentencing. Now you've just told me that uh, these young offenders are very impulsive, so describe to me the mindset of a young person who's going to be dissuaded from committing a ram raid because of that aggravating factor. There's a certain element of notoriety that these young offenders mm. are looking for. And, I mean, I've had, I've had conversations with mm. some of them. I've been and visited some of the youth justice facilities. There's an element of notoriety. If they're on TV news and they see themselves on TV news or they see their mates on TV news because someone's been filming it and posted it to social no, media... No doubt. Sorry, then, you're not answering it, the question here. So, so describe to me the mindset for someone who was going to commit a ram raid, but now that your, your government has, has introduced a rule whereby it's an aggravating factor if they film it on social media, that's going to stop them from doing the ram raid. We Explain are, to me how that works. We are trying to discourage um, the perpetuation of this idea that ram raiding is a so, legitimate so thing. So you are discouraging people the people you just described to me as being very impulsive. Yeah, but look, it's not going to be one thing. That's, this is just no, no, one no, of explain, the things. Explain to, I think, you, I think you studied criminology, so explain to me how that works. Well, I want to know why this is a good policy. Because it sounds good to, yeah. to people who are engaged with politics and who are concerned yeah. about crime and who are going to be voting in this election. 
But if the if the purpose to it is to actually stop ram raids, I want to understand how someone you would describe as very impulsive is going to stop doing a ram raid because you've made an aggravating factor if they film it. Because we're media. trying to change the culture here, the culture that says it's okay to steal a car, film it, drive into a dairy, mm. put it on social media and gain notoriety from it. So it's not just one thing. We're doing that. Uh, we're doing a range of other things as well, including changing where these kids end up so that they can end up in the youth court quicker um, because the youth court's actually got more tools, not to put them in prison, but mm. actually to keep them out of prison. Um, by getting them to the youth court faster, we can actually make sure that we're doing more. And that includes those younger kids as right. well. The last question on this, and then I'll move on. You, you say you want to change the culture. You described to me offenders who are 10 or 11 years old Last opportunity, describe to me how they are going to be dissuaded by a law that says it's an aggravating factor if you film this ram raid on social media. It's Like I said, there's no silver bullet here. It is one of a number of things so we're doing. So it's an ineffective policy. Uh, no, it's I, not I, a good policy. I, if the purpose is to stop these kids from ram raiding, you've introduced a law that sounds good to people who are concerned about ram raiding, but actually does nothing at the root cause. No, I, I disagree that we're doing nothing at the root cause. No, this no, is no, only that one policy, of the things that, that we are doing. Yeah, but this is only one of the things that we are doing. We've got a whole suite of measures. Yes, we are throwing a lot at it because it is a big problem. Mm. OK, uh, my final policy concerns health. So in the time you've been in government, we've seen an explosion in the number of vape stores in New Zealand. There are now roughly 1,000. The Asthma Foundation reckons one in five 18-year-olds in New Zealand is a regular vapour. And now, weeks before an election, you announced plans to crack down on vape stores and almost halve the number of stores if you are re-elected. Why has it taken an election campaign to meaningfully crack down on this? Um, what we've seen is that the number of vape stores has actually proliferated since we made the last announcements, which we made as a government around reducing flavours, around reducing the number of vape stores in terms of where they can be and so on. In that short period of time between when we announced that and when the new regulations come into force... Um, we saw an even bigger explosion in vape stores. So, of course, we look at that and say, that's not what we were, had been intending. So now we're going to go further than that. And so, basically, we're going to take a similar approach to vaping to what we've taken to mm. tobacco, which is to really limit down the number of stores to about 600 across the country. Then we can ensure that they're mm. not near schools and so on. So... It's not like vape stores only popped up after you introduced those regulations. It was only a couple of months ago that you introduced those regulations. So my question is, why has it taken five years of Labor being in government to actually crack down on this? Well, vaping has grown significantly during mm. that time. During the five years? That, that's right. And, and so we have been doing things during that time. Um, but not, I, not enough to stop a thousand vape stores yeah, that's from right. proliferating. Well, no, I, I don't, there, I there I don't disagree. It's a problem. Now. I don't disagree. It's a problem. That's why we've set out. But you uh, have waited uh, until the election campaign. campaign to well, do it. No, I, I mean, you can't stop. You know, putting forward ideas in an election campaign. The whole idea is you do put forward. Well, ideas the whole idea in an is you do campaign. it when it becomes a problem, which would have been three or four years ago. Well, and we have been doing a lot during that time. I mean, you'll see earlier this year we announced the you know reduction in the number of mm. flavors that are available. We've um, we have taken steps to you know keep them away from schools and from marae and places where people are at higher risk. So uh, this is, you know, it's a continuation of yeah. an overall approach. But I also do want to say, what I don't want to do is see people going back to tobacco because tobacco becomes easier to access than vaping. We all agree with that. I think, you know, yeah. vaping is a good way of getting people out of smoking. What I don't want to see, though, is that it becomes then a new desirable thing, which means people mm. who weren't smoking take it up. One in five 18-year-olds. Um, I want to finish up by talking about what it takes to win elections. Your party put out a social media post saying that National intended to cut interest-free student loans. 
Why? Um, I didn't see that. I wasn't aware it was going out. You have out. seen it now, though, right? I, I, Of course I've seen it now. I wasn't aware of that, and it certainly wouldn't have gone out had I been aware of it. I want to run a campaign that's robust. Mm. We are going to critique the you know, the proposals put so, forward by the opponents, sure. but, but we, what, what they're actually putting forward, not, so, not that. And, and, and to be clear, they're not putting forward no, that policy. So right. why did that happen? Um, I, I don't know how that happened, but we've certainly talked to the team to make sure that ask? it didn't happen. That was human error, ultimately, and it won't happen again. Is it more important to stick to your principles or to win? Um, I think both are important because actually you give effect to your principles by winning um, because then you get yourself into a position where you can actually mm. live up to the promises that you make. I know that there are some people who would rather be absolutely purist and, and never compromise on anything. Mm. Compromise is a legitimate part of the democratic process. I think winning is important, mm. but I'm not going to do that at the expense of my principles. I set out last Sunday, mm. this time last week, I set out some bottom lines, areas where I wouldn't go. Yeah, Winston Peters, we get that. Uh, in the eyes of many, though, you have defined yourself, at least as Prime Minister, by ruling out more ambitious policies. Now, go back to that decision to rule out a comprehensive capital gains tax and a wealth tax, and you said this, we simply didn't have the mandate. No mandate. According to what? Well, we were very clear at the last election that you know we didn't, we weren't going to be doing a wealth tax or a capital gains tax. And had we done that, I don't think we would have been keeping faith with the electorate. But this is this was a decision heading into this election. So heading into this election, my decision to rule out a wealth tax was because when I, I mean, I did, we did get the analysis done. Mm. What would the, be the pros and cons? But of you a said there's tax? no mandate. But we're talking about heading into an election campaign. Surely you get the mandate heading into an election. Yeah, and having looked at the evidence and having looked, you know, had done the analysis mm. about whether a wealth tax would work for New Zealand given we would be one of the only countries in the world mm. introducing one. Oh, one of the only ones uh, that doesn't have a CGT, I, right? Well, that's a different argument. Well, well we actually, come, they're the we same. Can, we can come back thing. to that in a minute, but let's deal with wealth tax. Um, a wealth tax would potentially just mean that a, a significant exodus of wealth from New Zealand to the countries that don't have a wealth tax, which, be, which would be almost all of the others. Um, and actually, economically, that would mean fewer jobs, it would mean all of the things that go with that, and actually less revenue for the government Is overall. there any part of you that has revisited or questioned that decision since? On the wealth tax, no. On a capital gains tax, let, let me be really frank with you. I think you know New Zealand does have a gap in its, its mm. tax system here, but one government is not going to be able to change that without there being a longer-term degree of consensus around that, because a capital gains tax takes about 10 years before it starts to generate significant revenue, unless you apply it retrospectively, which mm. no-one, I think, would ever propose. Yeah. Um, then you know, you need to have it in place for mm. the better part of a decade before you start to generate revenue. So if we, I don't think, you know, it's going to serve New Zealand's interests well to have tax flip-flopping around every time there's a change of government. Mm. So, you know, we, we set up the tax working group because we wanted mm. to try and achieve a consensus about a more diversified tax system. Ignored their advice, got which, a majority government, still ignored their advice and headed into an election campaign without fighting for these things. Well, look, I mean, we, we need to have a tax system that is enduring and that mm. doesn't flip-flop around. Let, let me finish with the big picture. Labor came to power six years ago, promising to tackle the housing crisis. Mm. Kiwi Build, we all agree, was a disaster. Houses today are more expensive relative to incomes in New Zealand than they were when you took over. And before we blame COVID, they were also more expensive relative to incomes before the COVID property boom. You promised to tackle the mental health crisis. The head of the Mental Health Foundation said this at the end of last year, quote, the transformation of mental health is failing. Things are overall getting worse, not better. And climate change. The light rail you promised would be in Mount Roskill two years ago still doesn't have a single inch of track. Agriculture still isn't paying for its emissions. And as Prime Minister, your first action was to reinstate a tax cut for fossil fuels. Your last was to oversee a $236 million raid on the climate front. You have had six years in government. You've lost numerous cabinet members to scandal and incompetence. 
And when we consider that record heading into the campaign, why should anyone think a future Labour government has the capacity to deliver on its promises? Well, I'm sure you'll let me go through each of those one at a time now, Jack. Thank you. If we talk about Kiwi Build, we have built 3,000 Kiwi Build homes. Yes, that's below what we had expected to do, but we've seen record numbers of building consents for building new houses. We're building a record number of new mm. state houses, um, more than any government since mm. the 1950s. Houses are more expensive, and, rents are more expensive, and, and you made 3% and, of that And promise. that is a global phenomenon. No one was going to turn that around overnight, but we're continuing to make progress on that. On mental health, we're building a new mental health system from nothing. A million mental health sessions have been delivered under the free, mm. you know, access and choice free mental health initiative that we've put in place. That's a million sessions more than were there before, and that's growing now. It took a while to scale up, but it is scaled up, and it, and it continues to scale up. So, I, I, yes, it's a work in progress. There is more to be done there. On climate change, I made it really clear when I became Prime Minister that I didn't want feel-good initiatives, I wanted initiatives that were going to reduce our emissions. Mm. So I have been unrelenting in that. Basically, initiatives that... Like increasing petrol taxes. Initiatives, for example, like the uh, clean car rebate, or not the clean car rebate, the, um, the cash for clunkers scheme, which was basically going to mean people could trade in their old cars and get a, a, a lower emissions vehicle. That was going to cost half a billion dollars so, and so, reduce our emissions by not very much. So, so, Whereas the New Zealand steel deal and the Fonterra mm. deal, they actually make significant reductions so in our emissions. Did, did you get um, emissions modelling on your decision to take $230 million from the Climate Fund? That was in the paper, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 sorry. The did two, you do emissions no, modelling? Sorry, I thought you were talking about the fuel tax. No, the, no, no, the, the emissions modelling that you announced this week. $230 million mm. in emissions. Some of that was actually just initiatives, changes did, to initiatives. That's not so, for question. example, did, the pricing did you, of did agricultural emissions, the pricing of agricultural emissions, we're still doing that. But there's been a change to the way we're paying for it. Did you get emissions modelling on that? On those particular savings mm. initiatives, I don't recall that being done. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Good luck for the campaign ahead.